This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we analyze the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. This is Audrey Tan. And this is David Hogarty. And today, we have Ms. Shalin Sharin and Dr. Neil Maylin from the National University of Singapore who are here to talk dirty with us. Specifically, we are here to discuss an undesirable environmental outcome of the COVID-19 pandemic, the rise of disposables, which may end up as litter and stray into the oceans, affecting marine life. Welcome both of you to the show. Yep, thank you for having us. Hi everyone, thank you for having us. So Charlene, you and several other graduates of the NUS Master of Science Environmental Management program recently did a survey on Singapore's use of disposables during a two-month period when most activity here was suspended. So can you just give us a brief summary of your key findings? Yes, so during the circuit breaker, we saw a 73% increase in meals for delivery and a 50% increase in online grocery purchases during the circuit breaker period as compared to before the circuit breaker. And the increase in delivery and takeaway meals resulted in an estimated additional 1,334 tonnes of waste. This is equivalent to the weight of 92 double-decker buses. A caveat that these results are based on our survey on disposable cutlery and containers in Singapore during COVID-19 among 1,110 households. The circuit breaker period refers to the eight weeks which lasted from 7 April to 1st June. Our initial hypothesis was that there would be a general increase in the use of disposable cutlery and containers during the circuit breaker period as compared to before the circuit breaker. And the results supported our hypothesis. We believe in data-backed evidence and obtaining responses on the ground from respondents who are not in the environmental or sustainability sphere and from various industries. Ultimately, we want to minimize biasness and understand the behavioral changes of residents in Singapore amid the circuit breaker period. That certainly sounds like a lot of waste. But can you elaborate exactly what you mean by additional plastic waste? You know, for example, is that over and above what people would have been using prior to the pandemic? And maybe just explain a little bit more about the methodology of the survey. Yes, so through the survey, respondents were asked to indicate the frequency of takeaway and delivery meals purchased for their households, both before and during the circuit breaker period. We then calculated the weight of disposable cutlery and containers generated through these orders for each respondent and took the estimated weight per container to be 25 grams and one cutlery set to be 10 grams. With this, we got the total amount of plastic waste generated by all of the respondents' households from disposable cutlery and containers before and during the circuit breaker. And finally, we extrapolated the waste generated per household per week from our survey responses and multiplied this by the total number of households in Singapore. And we also multiplied this by 8 weeks, the duration of the circuit breaker period, which amounts to the weight of 92 double-decker buses. Yeah, so that's that a huge amount of plastic waste. So basically, these results show the outcome during that two-month circuit breaker period. But it begs the question, what does this mean for the long term? For example, is this level of consumption of disposables going to continue, even as the economy gradually reopens? Or are there still a lot of people in the next coming months, six months, even a year, who are still going to be very nervous about catching the virus? So they'll continue with this consumption, uh, takeaway meals, or getting groceries delivered, you know, keeping themselves relatively isolated and homebound. What do you kind of think is you know, how things will evolve? Yes, perhaps given the gradual reopening of the economy, dining in options will be made available albeit at a reduced capacity compared to pre-circuit breaker, which may lead to a reduction in takeaway and delivery meals. So 
So to my knowledge, all of these are just hypotheses, and it could vary once again depending on both the global and local situation as mentioned. I think that families with young children and elderly are less likely to dine out as frequently. And F&B businesses which started offering delivery options during the circuit breaker period may continue to do so as the economy gradually opens to meet the demands of their pre-existing customers. Also, as Singapore residents get used to takeaway and delivery meals being the new norm during the circuit breaker period, it's likely that there may still be a significant amount of disposable cutlery and containers. So the longer-term implications of your findings are certainly food for thought. And Charlene, we have heard from you about how people are using more disposables during the circuit breaker period, but maybe the both of you could help us put this in context. Why are disposables so bad? And in fact, some people might claim that disposables could help ensure that things are more hygienic for them. So maybe Charlene, you could start? Yes, so given that the situation is evolving quite rapidly and the uncertainties, it might be a little premature to comment on the matter of hygiene in regard to disposables, but definitely the greater use of disposable cutlery and containers causing a rise in waste generated during COVID-19 is undesirable, especially with Singapore striving toward a zero-waste nation. And given the uncertainty of the situation, we may even need to multiply this estimated amount of additional waste generated during circuit breaker period by months. And the increased use of disposable cutlery and containers also has a negative implication on the climate. To my knowledge, fossil fuels are extracted in order to produce plastic, and this releases greenhouse gases. Greater use of these disposables also increases carbon footprint, which would further enhance the greenhouse effect, resulting in a series of climate-linked issues such as global warming. And a recent report by the Centre for International Environmental Law highlighted that at current levels, greenhouse gas emissions from the plastic life cycle threaten the ability of the global community to keep global temperature rise below 1.5 degrees Celsius. A simple act of refusing disposable cutlery and containers counts. Sustainability is a journey and every little act counts. It doesn't necessarily need to be a big move and we can first start by refusing cutlery then bringing our own containers, and maybe in the future even opt for carbon offsetting as a means of minimising our carbon footprint. So it's probably also worth pointing out now that there are alternatives to disposables, right? And that people can take their own containers with them when they get food for a takeaway. But if we want to take a more broader perspective to the whole use of disposables, maybe I mean, we have all seen pictures of marine trash making their way into the ocean. So maybe you could yeah. tell us why this is so bad for marine life. Yeah, definitely, Audrey. So I think in terms of the impacts of marine debris on marine life, there are mainly two ways that we can see these impacts. So the first manner is the physical impact of entanglement with the debris, such as the ALDFGs, which basically stands for the abandoned, loss or otherwise discarded fishing gear. So when marine life becomes entangled with fishing nets or traps, it can lead to entrapment, suffocation and death in many instances. And we have seen this happen in Singapore seashores, where we find abandoned fishing nets covered with dead and rotting bodies of sharks, rays and other fishes. And sometimes if we are lucky, we can still save a few of them, but they usually are already tired out from struggling to break free. And the second impact of marine debris on marine life is through eating some of the smaller debris, especially the micro-sized plastics that can pass through their guts easily. But these debris get trapped in their stomachs as it cannot be digested, therefore making them feel full and stopping them from eating the real food. So many of these animals end up starving to death. 
So yeah, Maylin, I think I've also reported on how like reef sharks were found in a gill net, I think in one of our southern islands a couple of years ago. But you know, yeah. marine life, they are very majestic and nice to look at. But are there implications for human health as well? I mean, considering that so much of our food actually comes from the oceans. Yeah, no, definitely. I think in terms of research and studies, there is increasing evidence that the plastics could potentially have harmful effects on humans, although the pathway is sometimes not very immediately identifiable for us. So just for as an example, a lot of the marine debris, when they are left for a long time in the marine environment, they can accumulate contaminants onto the surfaces. And in the vast oceans, marine debris are the occasional surfaces that microorganisms can attach onto. And this debris then becomes tiny transport vehicles moving microorganisms around the seas, where some of them eventually become consumed by marine life, such as the fishes that we eat. And what's interesting is that there's also a recent study conducted in Singapore where several bacteria strains were found potentially harmful to both marine life and humans from the surfaces of microplastics found on the Singapore beaches. And collectively, all these suggest that there is a pathway for contaminants to affect marine life and the wider food chain where humans are part of this food chain. So that's very interesting and I think if there's one thing that COVID-19 has taught us so far is that any changes to the environment does not just affect the environment, there's always going to be ripple effects on human lives as well. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now, back to Dirty Talking with Ms. Charlene Sharin and Dr. Neil Malin from the National University of Singapore. So returning to the subject of how marine life can be affected, Meilin, we've all seen the iconic images of the turtle with the straw in its nose or the seahorse with its tail curled around a cotton bud. You know, these are images that most of us have seen, but they represent just a fraction of the problem of plastic waste globally in the oceans. For instance, I believe there's an estimated 13 million tonnes of plastic waste enters the ocean every year. That's about a garbage truck every minute. It's a bit hard to imagine, but I guess a lot of that ends up plastic waste that's dumped into the rivers and then flows out into the ocean, or it's plastic that's blown out into the ocean from municipal waste dumps nearby, or it's just plastic waste that people dump on the side of a boat. I mean, it gets into the ocean many ways, and it's a huge and growing problem. So can you can you tell us what happens to all this plastic that is accumulating every year into the oceans? Yeah, um, in terms of where these plastics go to after it reaches the oceans, as you already mentioned, some of the pathways, some of the waste comes from the river sources, from land, and eventually they end up in the, they can remain in the water column for a very long period of time, given that plastics don't break down so easily. A proportion of them are actually also, they sink to the bottom of the sea, which is sometimes surprising because we relate to plastic materials or debris being like less dense and they'll be able to float. But apparently, actually, quite a big proportion of them ends up at the bottom of the ocean. Some of them that floats becomes garbage patches, such as the ones that we see in the Pacific Oceans. And what's also interesting is that some of them end up in other people's countries and other people's seashores. So these plastics basically get sort of cycled in some ways around the different parts of the oceans. I think in terms of the gravity of the problem is that if we just look at within Southeast Asia, where we are located, just on plastic waste alone, the region has been highlighted as a major source of plastic leakages into the oceans. 
So statistically, it's shown that nearly 20% of the global total mismanaged plastic waste comes from several countries in this region. And these waste can enter the oceans via the rivers, wastewater outflows, and they get transported by winds and tides as well. But if we only look at this data alone, it could be misleading that the plastic waste contribution to the ocean comes from within the Southeast Asia. So there was a report published by Greenpeace Southeast Asia in 2019 that presented the other side of plastic waste entering the oceans. And these waste is basically the shipments of unwanted, toxic and unrecyclable waste from mostly developed nations after China's decision to ban imports. And just between 2016 and 2018, the region saw an overwhelming 171% growth of waste imports. And that's equivalent to about 430,000 20-foot shipping containers. The good thing is that some of the countries have taken measures to counter the growing tide of imports, especially the illegal shipments. So just for example, Singapore has adopted and passed the new law last February 2020 under the Hazardous Waste Act that is designed to manage plastic waste exports and prevent plastic exporters in Singapore to ship out plastic waste that is contaminated, difficult to recycle or mix with other materials. And this new implementation is meant to align with the Basel Convention Treaty for which Singapore is a party to the convention. So I think all these figures have been quite startling and I hope that, you know, that will kind of jolt people to the gravity of the problem. But I mean, I was just hoping that two of you could advise us in what do you think is the way forward? I mean, Charlene, the study did have some recommendations. Maybe you can share those with us. Yep, so we have a few recommendations. From a consumer's point of view, we encourage consumers to group buy with their neighbours. And also from the business point of view, they can opt for zoning for deliveries. So this would save costs and also reduce carbon footprint. And also food delivery businesses, these apps, they can include features that allow users to sort of filter food and delivery businesses which provide environmentally friendly takeaway options. Yeah, and for the um, ministries, we recommend to roll out green campaign decals to be displayed at their storefronts to encourage green habits. And Melin, would you like to chime in on this? On what do you think as a marine biologist can be the way forward? Well, to be honest, as a marine biologist, I do feel a bit um, helpless to some extent. So I think that COVID-19 has definitely changed the face of how we handle the global plastic use and waste problems. And given the current need for utmost hygiene, the production and use of single-use products, particularly of the medical supplies, will continue to increase during this period and probably beyond for a bit. So it's unlikely that we can really do away with single-use items when trying to manage public health. So one way forward would probably be relying on sustainable innovations, such as more eco-friendly materials or even compostable plastics. I think one thing that I feel is from the government's perspective, where they need to begin to re-examine their policies on plastic bans that have either been temporarily lifted or postponed for this period as soon as COVID-19 eases. The pandemic is likely to ease up over time, but plastic pollution is an urgent issue that would not go away easily. So if we don't take proper actions now, it will negatively impact our health, wildlife and natural environment. And hopefully what we do in the near future will translate to also safeguarding the marine life and the oceans. So well, this has been a very sobering but I hope informative discussion on plastics. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap for Green Pulse and we hope you enjoyed our discussion.
That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.